0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Auroch Digital How to Make a Video Game podcast. Uh, there's me, Matt Galaxy, the Galaxy Walker. I sound like a radio host when I come <laughs> in. It's very difficult not to be like the radio host from Grand Theft Auto or something. I don't know. Hey Gem, how's it going?
1: Hi, going good. I did not have a nickname still. Maybe it will eventually. Oh my gosh. Gem I, the Crow. Crow.
0: <laughs> I feel bad that we haven't been there yet. We haven't gone there.
1: Well, okay. crow's pretty cool, anyway, and that's my name, so maybe it will just be Jem the Crow.
0: Jem the Crow. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, how about we leave that up to Thomas to come up with a Warhammer-esque
2: nickname by the end of the episode for Jem? Hey, Tom. Hello. Um. Uh. I'm sure there's a bunch of crow-related stuff in, in the Warhammer universe. As admiring admiring there's up. like
1: a crow-priest miniature you'd painted with a scroll. He's like in a little cloak. Oh, he that, was really cool. Yeah,
2: that's um, Bushido. Bushido. Uh, G- GCT Studios game Bushido. Yeah, that, that's the it's like a bird faction which I, I'm painting, which are very cool. I was a big yeah. fan of that. Well, there's the link there, surely. That's
0: the, that's the way to go. It's got to be. Um, so in previous episodes, previous seasons, we've covered a lot of games workshop stuff, Warhammer things, all related. Um, Thomas,
2: why are we going back to this realm again? Well, I think from from our point of view as a company, we've done a bunch of games workshop products that are not Warhammer. And I think I have a lot of conversations with people and say, oh yeah, we work with Games Workshop, and they'll come back and go, Oh right, yeah. And and they think of Warhammer. Understandably, I mean Warhammer is huge. It's massive. It's doing really well. It's you know, and I'm a huge fan of it and, you know, here at the studio we play a bunch of Warhammer games. Though. And
1: we do a lot of lunchtime painting. We do, yes. The yeah, so really there's fun. a lot
2: of Kill Team miniatures being painted at lunchtime. I'm uh, learning. Yeah, we're working our way through Blackstone Fortress, the campaign in the board game. You know, several of us play Warhammer Total War. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of love for the Warhammer universe. But obviously we've done non-Warhammer stuff. Uh, and that that's... Sort of by accident, and and I, and I think this podcast. Uh, I think if there's a theme to this season, it's probably celebrating our nerdery. Would yeah. you say, mm-hmm.
0: I think we're really tapping into that with this season. That's that's nail
2: on the head right there. Yeah, and so yeah, this episode is is sort of celebrating the nerdery, but but with a slight tangent, and and I think that's because there's lots of people do discussions of Warhammer stuff. There's there's some great YouTube channels where people get into the lore of Warhammer. And I'm a big fan of those. Um, and there's there's you know there's a bunch of podcasts that talk about it as well. But there's not a lot that talk about the non-Warhammer stuff. And I think because we've done games on that and because you know my nerdery came in sort of into that area, uh, I thought it would be interesting to look at, at at that maybe less talked about but for me fascinating area of games workshops history. <laughs> Thomas, go. Hit me. So when I was younger, I discovered Games Workshop when I was a, when I was a young lad. And I think in hindsight now I realise it's a real life-changing thing. So I had played Dungeons & Dragons a little bit before. Um, and so once I got into D&D, I then wanted a shop where I could buy this stuff. Now I'm old enough that when I got into D&D, Games Workshop still sold D&D stuff. White Dwarf, the Games Workshop magazine, still had D&D content in it. Um But there was a whole bunch of other games that they did. Now, originally, when I was doing the research for this podcast, I was going to cover some of their role-playing games that they produce both themselves and under license. But then I realized there's this uh, other podcast um, called The Grognard Files, which is fantastic. And I give a shout out and we'll put a link in the show notes Um, that really does do a deep dive into the RPG years of Games Workshop White Dwarf so there's nothing I can say that they've not covered in in much more depth and with fascinating guests so I'm going to focus really predominantly on the board games and video game stuff uh, of around that similar sort of era so for me I came into Games Workshop stuff in the sort of early 80s and I've been a fan ever since you know that's never stopped.
0: Was that purely by accident like was it through a friend or did you just you saw the shop how did that actually start for you?
2: Um, I think, I think we went past, so I, I, part of my family still do live in Birmingham and we used to go through the Bullring, this huge shopping center mm. and there used to be a games workshop in the Bullring. Uh, and yeah, it was just like this, you know, like, like the proverbial, you know, kids in a candy store. It was just, it was just the most amazing place ever. It was just all this nerd stuff concentrated in a space it was just like the best yeah like my yeah. first
1: experience of it is i thought games as in video games so i went in thinking it was app sort of shop and then i saw the like the little miniatures of all the orcs and uh all the fantasy things because fantasy's always been my favorite if there's wizards and dragons like i'm a big fan so i was like i'd not heard of it before but that's where i came across it yeah and
2: it, you know it, it does you know lot it, it has that real joy to it which is great um and and uh, yeah, just sort of from then on, that was it. I was into it. You know, it, at first it was a shop. But I think, I think the interesting thing is I didn't really understand the, you know, the various lines of stuff that was licensed, stuff that wasn't licensed, the Warhammer stuff, the non-Warhammer stuff. For me, it was just all amazing stuff and I just got into it. So yeah, I was playing, you know, when Warhammer 40,000 came out, you know, I got first edition of that. Uh, I wrote some rules for Warhammer Forty Thousand and Warhammer Fantasy Battle when I was a kid, where, um, which I sent into Games Workshop, and they were kind enough to I reply. Just <laughs> same as oh. the yeah. one that you sent
0: away. Yeah, it's so adorable. I'll,
2: I'll, I'll stick the I'll stick the <laughs> the letter in 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 a show note link so you can have a look at it. They they were super kind to reply because uh, they must have got a lot of letters off kids like me. Um, but in doing the you know doing the research for this podcast, discovered there's a whole bunch of other stuff. So. I'm going to sort of do it in chronological order where we go through the non-Warhammer stuff because obviously at a certain point, um, Games Workshop really does focus on Warhammer and Lord of the Rings. And I'm not really going to cover Lord of the Rings in this podcast either. If people really want us to, maybe we'll cover it another one because, you know, I do love Lord of, the, Lord of the Rings. I'm currently reading my daughter, The Hobbit, which I, I got read to by my mum when I was a kid. So a lot of love for that, but I, it's such a huge topic. Yeah, Massive. Um so starting in 1980 and, and some of this stuff i just didn't know like uh games workshop and i'm starting that as a fairly arbitrary date just because it's when i got interested in it um doctor who the game of space and time uh anyone want to guess well you've got the show notes. i was gonna say anyone to <laughs> guess who the doctor was but you've got the show notes in front uh, well, of oh well i actually don't have the okay, show on notes i've got in
0: different episodes um no i couldn't even has the guess. tell me it's tom baker oh okay
2: yeah, which, which for me, the thing is, like, again, that was the era I started watching Doctor Who. So for me, Tom Baker was the first Doctor that I really saw. See the Doctor
1: with the very long, colourful scarf. Yeah, yeah, really
2: deep, sonorous voice. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, great, great Doctor. And some of the classic Doctor Who. I've got friends who are massive Doctor Who nerds, love all of it. But but again, similar to me, because they're about the same age, got into it then. Yeah. Um, but it was designed by a guy called Derek Carver, who will pop up again in this, which is why I note it. They also did this game called Apocalypse, the game of nuclear devastation, uh, which was actually a licensed version of a game called The Warlord. It's like a post-apocalyptic uh, sort of version of Risk with nuclear war. Um, it was fascinating to look at, really, because there's a whole bunch of this stuff around that period, which was nuclear war, feared Cold War, nuclear yeah. war. And again, I think as somebody who grew up in that era, I, I genuinely was... I remember being worried about a nuclear war. I remember, you know, there's a, like a TV drama that came out around then called Threads. I don't know if you've ever seen it. No. It's terrifying, absolutely <laughs> terrifying drama about nuclear war. And again, we did the uh, potted history of car combat games. Mm. And a lot of those have their roots in in uh, films like Mad Max and the cars that ate Paris. And they have their anxiety rooted in... The oil crisis yeah, of I'm the 70s, so. which I don't really remember. I'm not old enough to remember. Not that old yet. Um, <laughs> so, so I think it's interesting that whatever the anxiety of of the culture or anxiety that cultures are facing often become rooted in the science fiction or fantasy that, that is ongoing.
1: Yeah, people seem to want to consume media or play games based around things that are frightening them.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, it's kind of in the – I think if you're a creative person creating content – and that's around, it's kind of hard for it not to filter into it. I actually think that science fiction fantasy is a very good lens to talk about stuff that allows people to be a little bit more objective and consider things that, that maybe is a bit harder for them if it's too close to home. Um, but, but it sounds fascinating game, never played it. For me, the, the first one sort of date-wise that I really knew about was Talisman, um, which was 1983. The first edition of that came out. Uh, I was a huge fan of Talisman. i, I say this is about non-warhammer content and technically talisman sort of strays into the warhammer territory you can get a space marine character in the talisman timescape they've actually got chains for as a character so big shout out oh cool so you've got
1: the games workshop those sort of things uh warhammer stuff dad already started and then talisman was using little bits from that universe or
2: yeah they were kind of crossover There there was a bunch of bits of crossover which games workshop would do around um you know, t- Talisman was such a huge thing with loads of expansion sets. It touched on so many themes. And we've talked about this a little bit before in some of the other episodes. Games Workshop were very good at at keeping their worlds for the players' degree of openness so mm. that the players could do their own creativity within there. And, and you know, Talisman, if you've not played it, basically is a, is a game. It's a fantasy set game, like a sort of dungeon crawler-y thing where your aim is to become the most powerful character and kill off all the other characters using this thing called the crown of command. It's a very simple gameplay loop, but very effective, which Mm. is the reason it's still huge now. And I think I want to give a shout out to the great Nomad games. You do the digital versions of Talisman, which I'd heartily recommend people. They're very, very good um and and you know that they, they will stick a link to them in the show notes but they, they do a bunch of uh other stuff that's really worth checking out as well which we'll touch on too here's the here's the fascinating one i did not know games workshop did so they published a game called calamity um which had three designers uh derek carver who we mentioned before uh ian livingstone obviously one of the co-founders of games workshop and a gaming legend and Andrew Lloyd Webber. What? <laughs> the Andrew The cat's Lloyd guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, I
1: don't with, know who's a uh, game designer. <laughs> that's so, sorry, uh, be,
0: uh, being someone with a, a semi-theatre background, I, I know of his work somewhat, but I am...
2: Shocked by that. Why? Okay. That now, without looking at any show notes, what do you think? Calamity—it's got an exclamation mark after it—is about given given yeah. the the pedigree of of certainly one of the designers. What do you think? It's, it's not
1: meant? about cats, is it? It's not about <laughs> cats. Good well, guess. I wouldn't have played Matt, that. <laughs> um,
0: I couldn't even guess. But I, I'm I'm kind of wanting this to be set within the same universe now, as like Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, one that all to be linked, <laughs> like a shared universe.
2: No, it was about <laughs> insurance, what? and what? it was co so done with the Sentry Group of insurance companies. So that that was insane. What, I know, what a completely
1: weird. I mean, so what you're trying to take out policies? You roll and try and get like a good I, yeah. Return. I,
2: I, mean, I I would love to have a go. It sounds a fascinating. That game. is bizarre. That is so strange.
1: Bizarre. And does he have a background in insurance? I don't understand the crossover. No Maybe he just idea. wrote the soundtrack. <laughs> I think there's,
0: I think there's, there's more. Um, he's probably more related to uh, insurance than he is to game design for sure. Yeah, so that's I remember, true. <laughs> man He's well, okay.
2: a, a polymath guy. You know, he can he can write songs, he can write music, <laughs> he can design games, insurance. He can things he he can he can cover you if your car's stolen oh my gosh yeah um but also 1983 battle cars came out which is games workshop's first car combat game and if you skip back to season three episode one which is uh, the road to hell history of car combat uh, we cover that in a bit more detail there um 1984 games workshop were doing some video games as well now Obviously, we do games which are video games under license. So there's a structurally slightly different thing. But this is them publishing it, which if you know the history of um, Ian Livingstone, one of the co-founders who would go on to be a co-founder of IDOS, it, it sort of makes sense in that retrospect. But their first video game that I, I was able to discover was called D-Day. So it was a game about, um, you know, historical one, interestingly, mm. um, definitely non-Warhammer. And then 1985, they did this great game called Warrior Knights, which I did play and was a big fan of. Again, Derek Carver, who who hot off the press of working with Andrew Lloyd Webber and Ian Livingstone, <laughs> was to design uh this game. Um and it's a really clever game. So it's a fantasy set game about a world where you're each kind of like a faction vying for control of of the board. One of the things they had in it that worked really well was at a certain point you could kind of like call a gathering of all all the players. And at that gathering you would elect a king. So basically you'd agree who would get king and then you could hand out various officers of state, which came with a certain degree of power or control within the game where the mechanic worked really well is if, if you go to that thing, you're very vulnerable because the best place for you to be is in your castles, in your lands. But if you leave it, you're vulnerable to being attacked. But if you don't go, then you leave that open for other factions to basically decide who's going to get to be king and hand out the power that comes with it. Right. So That's pretty it's, cool. yeah, it's a very, very good game. Very effective. Um, I like that a lot. They also did a game called Superpower, which was a Cold War uh, theme board game, and then another video game that I think we should definitely note uh, called Chaos, which was based on a card game originally, um, turned into a villain game by a game designer called Julian Gollop, who we oh, have also touched on. Yeah, he's so. an up and coming rising star in the games industry. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Julian Gollop of uh, creator of the XCOM games, <laughs> amongst others, and again, I think we talked about him in a potted history of turn-based strategy games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, the game Chaos was rebooted in Kickstarter in 2014. So there's like an updated version you can grab. So skipping forward then to 1987, we've got The Fury of Dracula. Um, this is a great game. I don't know if anyone's played it. Um, it's like a hidden movement game. So one of the players is Dracula moving around the board, infecting people with you know, vampirism. And the other players are the vampire hunters who essentially have got to triangulate because you can't, you don't know where Dracula is, but you find the clues of where Dracula's been. Oh, cool! So yeah, you're, you're you're trying to figure out so where he is. And in fact, the game um, has been republished by WizKids fairly recently, and Nomad, who we mentioned before, are doing a digital version of it. So I'll really look forward to that. And again, design wise, designed by a guy called Stephen Hand, who will also pop up because um, uh, he designed a bunch of great Games Workshop titles. Also that year, they did Block Mania, which was a Judge Dread board game. They also oh, cool. did the role playing game, but that's go to the grognard files for that because they cover that really well um but blog mania is a great board game that again i played as a kid they also did this game called blood royale um which was very much about politics and power and and money um it's got a great cover that really attracted me to it but it's got this very good core mechanic of family dynasties so if you play a game like crusader kings 2 or a fan of game of thrones that that sort of theme is very much covered in the game
1: what was in the cover that you liked
2: oh uh, it's got like a bunch of nobles all looking around in various phases and then this big knight with this huge cool looking sword you know uh, hovering it over somebody whether to execute them or not so it's it's that yeah. kind of real drama vibe That's of cool. like what's going on here
1: reminds yeah. you when you're younger and like before like had access to the internet easily and trying to choose games based on the cover i'd actually have to like work out what's the coolest or funnest looking
2: well that got hard when i you know again using my age here is like in the early days when the graphics on games weren't that great they used to have these like painted covers that yeah. look so cool and of course the graphics now <laughs> there was
0: a huge responsibility on the cover art back in the yeah. day yeah it's incredible incredible yeah
2: yeah it's, and you know i mean, people say don't judge a book by its cover but you you kind of can't help it yeah you know a good cover can sell a book or a game or a you know or, or an album or whatever um So, yeah, so we're in 1987, a very important game launch, a game I'm a huge fan of, Chainsaw Warrior. So designed by Stephen Hand. uh, So Fury of Dracula mentioned one of his. Uh, And if you skip back to podcast season two, episode four, we do a deep dive into Chainsaw Warrior. Uh um, and obviously we also sell Chains of Warrior t-shirts, which are limited edition, so grab one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Chains of Warrior, brilliant solo game. It's a lot of fun. A lot of fun, classic of the genre. But that year as well, uh Stephen Hand also did another game which was released by Games Workshop called Chaos Marauders. Uh and it's like a card battling game. So the aim of the game is is you've got to create lines of armies. So with, you know, standard bearers and all various things. Uh and you have to complete a line, and once a line's completed then you know you've sort of that's that power locked in so it, there's always a balance between completing them and keeping them open to make them bigger but you run the risk of not completing them and something going wrong it's a very good game and i believe it's been reissued um skipping to 1988 so so we get on to some games workshops starting to do some super mainstream things now uh, if calamity with Andrew Lloyd Webber cannot be counted, that's the mainstream. That that's set a high bar to be shocked again. Gosh, um, uh, a game called Curse of the Mummy's Tomb, which uh, again I really liked. So it was there was a big thing in the sort of mid to late '80s for games with kind of gimmicky, especially around the board design and things like that. You know that that really was doing something quite inventive with physically doing something inventive, and Curse of the Mummy's Tomb had this 3D board. So it's like a bottom board and then there's a kind of raised section and and you kind of moved around the board. And it was very talisman-like, uh, I felt, in its in a lot of its character designs. He had different characters. They had skills. So it had this kind of RPG thing uh, and it had miniatures as well, which is obviously Games Workshop were very big on miniatures. Um, you,
1: did you paint them? Did they come ready painted?
2: No, they didn't come ready, but you could paint them. I, I, I didn't have it. A friend of mine had it, so I played it there, but I didn't own that. And then 1989, they did a game that a lot – Meet a lot more people know called Hero Quest. So, this was Games Workshop working in partner with uh, Milton Bradley Games. Um, and Hero Quest is a, a venerable genre board game. It's like a hybrid role playing board game. Uh, now, interestingly, they had Chaos Warriors in the game. So, again, it's this slight influence, maybe, of the Warhammer stuff that's going on, which I, th- I think, again, when we've covered Dark Future and Chainsaw Warrior, there's kind of that chaos thing seems to be a big. DNA of Games Workshop stuff. Uh, They did a video game of it in uh, 1991. They did a bunch of other stuff as well, but it morphed into the Warhammer Quest, which was definitely in the Warhammer universe, which again are great titles. Um, And then, you know, that also, uh, I mean, I jumped over 1988 was Dark Future, which again, we cover multiple um, uh, parts in our, if you go back to season one, episodes one, two, and three, you can get into the, the depths of the Dark Future stuff. But yeah, that gives you a kind of overview. And I, I think once we get into 1990, Games Workshop really becomes focused on Warhammer. It's what fans want. And, you know, I was a massive Warhammer fan around then as well. So I was playing both Fantasy Battle and 40K, plus all these other titles as well. You know, if it was cool and fun, I would play it. Uh, And, you know, and then the rest of our Games Workshop is history there. But I think a lot of really good games were produced in that period by my Games Workshop. Um and yeah I think what's been fascinating now is there was a big Guardian article I don't know if you saw it about the Rise of Games Workshop doing really well uh, and I think one of the things that I see as an echo from that period classic period and now is this focus on really amazing games mm. I mean the games that Games Workshop are putting out now there's some absolutely fantastic things and you can say oh you're biased because you work with them fine you know but good is good and they are <laughs> you know they are doing some amazing stuff.
1: I find like well, Hammer and Games Workshop, they have um, they seem to have fans in like all different areas. So I've been learning to paint the miniatures recently and putting them on my like, Instagram story. And then I've got friends all over like, oh, I used to play this or like reacting to it from different parts of my life, all different types of people. And uh, there's a lot of people who had this as, uh, when they were younger and they're like a lot of love for the games. But, uh, they're like into nerd culture stuff now still or they're video gamers or they're really sporty people. Like it's just, yeah, it's really nice to see that.
0: I've enjoyed their um more film based com- content of Legs. Uh, didn't they recently
2: announce there's a new um animated warhammer series they they've announced a bunch of stuff yeah so they, they they also announced a i don't know i think it's going to be live action um with amazon prime i want to say uh, but in a way it's, you know it's 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 great that it's happening because mm. they, they've got so much interesting stuff in in the whole canon of the Warhammer universe—it's—it's it's not a surprise to me that, that that they're exploring that. I
0: think it kind of joins the the sort of renaissance of. Um People like ourselves, you know, who, who grew up with this sort of stuff, those people, that generation, are now filmmakers. They're now video game designers. So those people are now making the things they loved as children. That's why mm. we're getting such an influx of Marvel uh, Marvel films and yeah. Ghostbusters coming back around. Everything's kind of going through this um, reincarnation almost, you know. There's a real nostalgia for it. And it seems that like Warhammer is kind of
2: following suit, would you say? Because those people who loved it are now making it. Yeah, and but the... The the other thing that I find fascinating well is that it's not just nostalgia, because nostalgia's part of it, but nostalgia can only get you part of the way. Mm. The the current people, like you say, creating it, they are also taking it in kind of interesting new directions. And I think for a for a a kind of universal world to live, to truly live, it has to both respect its roots and do new things. Cause otherwise it just ossifies. Otherwise it just just becomes you know, a museum piece that you look at and go, yes, that's interesting. So for it to live, it has to grow. It has to change. It has to evolve. And sure, some of those things won't be, won't survive. Some of those ideas they try will, you know, that the audiences maybe won't resonate with or, uh but you just don't know. And and I think, you know, you can see this in, uh, as you say, in a whole bunch of big universes, the ones that are vital and, you know, full of interesting stuff are the ones that are living. So, yeah, or lots of really exciting stuff in there um but and again you know uh as a fan of this stuff for me i've never stopped and, and that's the thing it's like i've never stopped being part of games workshop in the sense of you know first off just being a game of playing this stuff now working within it but as a fan that never changes i'm I, I can't imagine a point where i won't play read watch games workshop stuff it just just doesn't seem to be, and at the moment, I'm heavily hinting my kids to get into it. And that's, <laughs> that's obviously. Done. Gives me a massive excuse to get even more stuff. But it's, it's true. I second <laughs> that, and, second and that. I'm hugely pleased that Games Workshop are making life easier for me to do that by their young adult novels set in the Warhammer universe and stuff like that. It's like great, you know. I was,
0: I was going to say if there if there was anything available that was a, a little more child friendly, because it's all quite quite heavy
2: stuff, isn't it? Warhammer novels and all the games. Yeah, and the, the grimdark. I mean, but it, I think it's got that real British sensibility to it. You know, it's it's very, you know, it, it's. I, I think British. British produced science fiction fancy role play stuff, it, it can have this very, of its of a location, so you know, like Harry Potter stuff to me, you know, it's very located it's very yeah. British isn't yeah. it, and, and, but, but a certain type of Britishness which is great whereas the Warhammer stuff sure it raids European culture say the, the original Warhammer, say fancy role play, um, or Warhammer um, 40k You you can feel that irreverence and that kind of griminess in in the whole thing which which again i love um so yeah i i think there'll always be a place for that sort of take on it and and if if they didn't have their own take on it then it wouldn't have lasted this long it wouldn't have so many people into it so long after its original launch Mm. it's exciting Mm. Yeah, it's cool. like across
0: any property that seems to be coming back around these days like it's exciting to be an adult and still have that love for something you loved as a kid or even, even to rediscover that, that love that joy that passion you had for something and it's still so relevant so you mentioned then passing that on to your children like I'm excited to do that you know maybe my son will grow up absolutely hating Ghostbusters and at that point he gets a stern talking to <laughs> him, but at least he'll try at least it's relevant and there's an opportunity for him to like it Yeah, and that goes across the board you know it's mad
2: yeah definitely no very excited for getting my kids into it when when you crank or turn the
0: valve that's on the back of thomas's head <laughs> okay we've mentioned this in previous seasons when you crank it and you turn it you know you kind of turn it so far and you think okay well that's going to get me i don't know five six minutes out of, out of thomas before he starts to kind of the steam starts to come out the ears and starts to break <laughs> down but it's like when when he goes on into such detail about these things, like I just want to be sat around a campfire, yeah, listening such a to it. Wealth
1: of knowledge of like so many different subjects. It's mad,
0: <laughs> mad. And every time when, when you listen to this kind of stuff, it just makes me want to get back into Warhammer more so than I already have got back into yeah. it. You know, like you mentioned, you've just started doing the miniatures.
1: Yes, yeah, so I'd done a little bit before. I love D and D, and I played a lot of that. Um, and the miniatures. I wanted to try Warhammer because, like I said, I love anything wizardy, dragony. Yeah, um, yeah, and I tried to, like, my friend went to a tournament and I came and watched. It wasn't as story-based as D&D, so I didn't enjoy it as much. But I really love painting the miniatures and they teach me how to do that at the moment because I'd done my own ones and I didn't know to water down the paint. It was all blobby. And then I got shown there's a load of memes based around not watering your paint down and how, like, (laughs) ridiculous they can look. And I was like, oh, that was me. So, yeah, I'm learning it now. They were teaching me at lunchtime and, uh, yeah, really enjoying it. And all the figures are really cool. And I love the lore. I've read some of the books. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just really cool to hear about. And you have this sort of like outsider's uh, knowledge and perspective of of the Warhammer and Games Workshop world. So it was really cool to hear about all the other little bits that they've done mm. and how it's evolved. And Andrew Lloyd Webber, <laughs> like <laughs> absolute the, curveball.
0: That was the biggest curveball <laughs> yeah. I think we've ever received on this podcast. Like, <laughs> I, I can't think of two separate things. I have that, to read up
1: on him now and be like, how did this happen? Yeah. And why? Like,
0: oh my gosh, I don't know. But um, just just rewind slightly to the to the miniatures. Um, like that's a for me that seems it's a different sort of social aspect to a, to a gaming medium, isn't it? I've only yeah. kind of dabbled my Dibble dabbled my toes in it a little bit, um, but when I have done it, it's it's so relaxed, it's so yeah. kind of uh, mindful and therapeutic. You're kind of focusing intently on this this little miniature that you're piling hours and hours and love and joy into, but you're kind of collaborating you're talking about stuff yeah. there's a lot of banter and the creativity
1: it's and you're like what do you think about this design or this is my theme I'm going to go for mm. I think it's really nice because it's very different when you actually play the game they're kind of like two different hobbies mm. but it like brings them together like yeah. painting these beautiful little works of art and then like playing a board game with them it's really cool
0: yeah I guess like you develop um, you develop uh, not again not to link back to XCOM I'm doing <laughs> trying so hard not to do it but when you um, have those characters in it you grow so attached to them Yeah. so you can see why that is such a pull when you're, when you've actually spent the time and the hours painting, yeah. put, you know, uh, breathing a personality into these things. I guess that's and then, where I saw
1: the crossover of D&D. Like I'd built this character and yeah. the background and what she wore and what she thought. And it was the same. You like designed your little army or your units. And like, so my friend likes the Orc ones and they're very like, just build things out of stuff that they find and like hammer it all together. <laughs> and his <laughs> color scheme was all yellow and pink, which no one else did. And I liked it. they were like a little ragtag band of weirdos yeah, yeah, that he yeah. really loved. So Yeah. <laughs>
0: mind blown again my gosh right so thanks Jem it's been absolutely mad Uh, I I keep saying that the the steam comes out of um, Thomas's ears but it feels like it's coming out of my ears right now because there's (laughs) just so much uh, intel um Like, share, subscribe, subscribe. all the usual stuff. Yeah, subscribe. We've got a lot
1: of uh, interesting episodes coming up. Mm -hmm. Like we said, so this season, we're looking at, like, everyone's got little areas that they're super passionate about and they know loads of stuff about. One of my favourite things is talking to someone who's really passionate about something. It could be anything. It could be, like, stamp collecting, painting miniatures, a certain video game series or IP that they love. And just to hear all those little facts that you just learn and you're just passionate about if you are, like, a really like deep fan of that i, I love that so mm. that's what the yeah so just make sure to subscribe and you'll be able to hear all of those
0: absolutely have it delivered to your inbox to your smartphone i love that i love that things just land on my on my desk my digital desk without even trying when the when the arc digital podcast icon just pops up on my phone there's a little a little skip in my heart <laughs> but it's the good kind of skip it's a like nice one oh, it's landed it's landed so yeah, follow follow on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the socials. Drop
1: into Discord and chat. Always happy to chat. Come tell us about your weird thing that you're super passionate about, and mm. I'd love to hear about it.
0: Totally. We'll see you in the next one.
1: Thanks, guys.